Welcome to Pulse of the Caribbean Caribbean News Roundup. Here's a look at some of our Caribbean headlines for today. Trinidad and Tobago's energy future in offshore blocks. 52 buildings in Antigua and Barbuda to benefit from 42.1 million U.S. dollars project for climate-proofing buildings. 51 organizations call on U.S. House panel to move on Puerto Rico statehood. A new app to enhance COVID-19 management in St. Kitts Nevis. And 17 people at Miss World 2021 pageant test positive for COVID-19 in Puerto Rico. These and other stories on today's Pulse of the Caribbean, Caribbean News Roundup for Thursday, December 16th. We start a report today in Trinidad and Tobago. Trinidad and Tobago's Newsday reports that with the 2020 Ryder Scott report completed, showing overall declines in reserves, but highlighting a few areas where there was increases in production. The Trinidad and Tobago Ministry of Energy is now looking forward to new opportunities in the new year. That would come in the form of deep water bid round announced on December 5th in Houston, Texas, and again on Tuesday, along with the reading of the Ryder Scott Report. The bid round is for 17 blocks of the northern and eastern coasts of Trinidad and Tobago. While several factors still affect how much interest is gained from the bid round and how it will translate into exploration and by extension revenue for Trinidad and Tobago, the next six months will determine how the country manages its oil and gas resources. On Tuesday, Energy Minister for Trinidad and Tobago, Stuart Scott, explained that the Ryder Scott report was an indication of the level of Trinidad and Tobago's natural gas reserve. The Ryder Scott report is critical to everyone in the industry that is operating in the gas hydrocarbon sector to know what is currently there and to know what is on the horizon, he said. The report reflected a need for more investment in exploration and drilling so that resources could be moved from categories of high risk to lower risk and finally to be taken out of the ground for commercial use. While Young described deep water exploration as a new frontier and regime, oil and gas giants such as Shell, Exxon, BHP, have not only shown interest, but followed up with bids since the mid-1990s. According to a presentation during the launch of the bid round on Tuesday, the exploration of the 17 blocks resulted in the discovery about 6.6 TCF of commercially viable natural gas bearing sands. The energy minister said bids must be submitted and duplicate under the cover of confidentiality in sealed envelopes. Entities are also required to pay a pre-bid fee of $40,000 U.S. dollars and a bid application fee of $50,000 U.S. dollars. Proposals will be evaluated based on the provisions outlined in the order and point system. The successful bidders would be announced three months after the close of the bids in June. If successful, the bidders would enter into production sharing contract with the government of Trinidad and Tobago, which will be held for a term of no more than nine years from the effective date. Young said there was an appetite for exploration. He said in order to 
identify the blocks that were made available. The ministry provided data and 17 companies responded. Young maintained his cautious, positive outlook, even when he was questioned about the possible competition from newcomer to the oil and gas industry, Guyana, as well as Venezuela and Barbados, were some of the blocks sitting close to the latter borders. We are fortunate that we have a multi-million dollar plan that can literally turn gas into money, either via liquefied natural gas, ammonia, or methanol, he said. Everything is on the table as far as we are concerned. He said that while Guyana found significant oil reserves, which had some fines of associated gas, Guyana's focus at the moment is in oil production. He said he made contact during the World Petroleum Congress with members of the Guyana government, which intends to bring its gas to shore for domestic electricity and small manufacturing. Suriname also found gas and one of the conversation was how we can work with them and if there is the possibility that they could bring some of that gas to Trinidad and Tobago. Young also expressed excitement over the BHP Woodside merger, for which processes began earlier this year. He said appraisal wells had produced good results and the ministry is now waiting for the merger to be complete so that terms can be reached to bring deep water gas to the shores of Trinidad and Tobago. Antigua Newsroom reports that the Green Climate Fund building project has launched in Antigua and Barbuda for resilience to hurricanes in the building sector. The Department of Energy's funding proposal entitled Resilience to Hurricanes in the Building Sector in Antigua and Barbuda was approved by the Green Climate Fund Board in August 2020 for implementation over a period of six years. The project was approved at a total cost of 46.1 million U.S. dollars. 32.7 million U.S. dollars of which will be contributed by the Green Climate Fund and 13.4 million U.S. dollars through co-financing from the government of Antigua and Barbuda. In a cabinet decision dated September 23, 2020, the cabinet of the government of Antigua and Barbuda agreed to the establishment of a project management unit within the Ministry of Finance as the executing entity for the Green Climate Building Fund. This project will significantly boost the integration of fundamental climate change response mechanisms in governments, existing physical and infrastructure, and build public and private sector capacity through certified training at the University of the West Indies, Five Islands, and Antigua and Barbuda's Institute of Continuing Education to install, maintain, and operate climate change adaptation technologies across Antigua and Barbuda and beyond. In a more specific sense, the project will see the implementation of climate proofing interventions in critical public service buildings to improve resilience to, and by extension, reduce periods of economic disruption brought on by extreme climate events. These interventions include renewable energy technologies, water harvesting and water storage technologies, and storm water drainage for those schools in inundated zones. 
The project will also include the transformation of five clinics into climate-resilient hurricane shelters, construction or repair, and renovate a building into a purpose-building climate-resilient bunker to store emergency supplies for the health, energy, building, and welfare sectors. The Hill.com reports that a coalition of 51 organizations on Wednesday called on the U.S. House Natural Resources Committee to move forward with a bill for yes or no to vote on Puerto Rico's statehood. After more than a century of uncertainty, it is time for the U.S. Congress to stop delaying and to take action to definitively resolve Puerto Rico's unequal and undemocratic territory status, the groups wrote. The debate over Puerto Rico's status took a foothold in Washington during the Trump administration, fueled in part by institutional deficiencies that hampered the federal response to Hurricanes Irma and Maria in 2017. Grijalva, in a April and June of this year held hearings where witnesses discussed both bills. Soto's yes-no proposal and the Puerto Rico Self-Determination Act proposed by Representative Nidia Velasquez, Democrat of New York, which would create a convention to explore the different status possibilities available to Puerto Rico. Statehood proponents, for most part, want to see Soto's bill implemented, arguing that 52% of Puerto Ricans voted for statehood in the latest referendum in 2020, and that the simpler proposal is constitutionally viable as it mimics the statehood process used to admit Alaska and Hawaii. Over a year ago, the people of Puerto Rico voted in favor of statehood on the island. We are calling on Congress to listen and respect the will of the majority of Puerto Rico's voters by passing the Puerto Rico Statehood Admission Act, said George Laws Garcia, executive director of the Puerto Rico Statehood Council. The issue is deeply divisive among Puerto Ricans, and opponents of statehood says Velasquez's bill is the only one that would be inclusive of all political positions, whether pro-state, pro-independence, pro-territory, or alternate proposals. A U.S. Department of Justice analysis of the bill found that the only constitutionally viable alternatives to the current status are statehood or independence, with or without a pack of free association. The United States currently has packs of free association with three small Pacific Island states, the Federation States of Micronesia, the Republic of the Marshall Islands, and the Republic of Palau, all of which were under U.S. control after World War II and sought independence later in the 20th century. Free association allows certain U.S. social programs to be implemented in those countries, but does not give their residents U.S. citizenship, a right Puerto Ricans do have. In their letter, the group says they are open to a compromise bill that would allow Puerto Rican voters to choose between statehood, full independence, and free association. My View News reports that authorities in St. Kitts and Nevis are introducing a new digital tool that will help to enhance the successful management of COVID-19. 
an application or app designed for contact tracing of COVID-19 positive cases is under development. Prime Minister and Minister of Finance, Dr. the Honorable Timothy Harris, made the announcement on Tuesday, December 14th, while presenting the appropriation bill during the sitting of the National Assembly at the St. Kitts Marriott Resort. Work is also very advanced and nearing completion on the contact tracing application to facilitate the case management of individuals affected by COVID-19, he said. This becomes important because we have moved over time from attempting to isolate people to allowing persons with COVID-19 to isolate in their homes, so the tracking system will become critical. Scientists and health experts around the world are predicting a new surge in the global COVID-19 cases driven by the winter season, as well as the emergence of the highly transmissible Omicron variant. Sinkitz and Neva's excellent management of the COVID-19 pandemic garnered international recognition from countries as well as agencies such as the World Health Organization and the Pan American Health Organization. The country has a high vaccination rate with more than 40% of the total population being fully vaccinated. Prime Minister Harris said that risk from the deadly virus will continue to be carefully managed, particularly as the Federation eases public health and safety restrictions and more visitors arrive on island. TheNationalNews.com reports that Puerto Rican health authorities have confirmed 17 people involved with the ongoing Miss World 2021 pageant have tested positive for COVID-19. While it wasn't immediately clear how many of the participants were among those infected, the Miss World organization said that there were about seven isolated candidates with possible coronavirus infections, according to the Puerto Rican daily Primera Aura. In the case of Miss World, there are 17 positives. Yesterday, there was talks of seven, but that number went up. Puerto Rico Health Department spokesperson Listian Acevedo told Primera Aura. Acevedo said the number of cases includes candidates as well as technical personnel and that all those infected were vaccinated. While none of those who tested positive required hospitalization, they have to follow a mandatory 10-day isolation period, Acevedo said. Miss World Chairwoman Julia Morley told Primera Aura that candidates who tested positive will not be allowed on stage at the finals if they don't produce a negative molecular PCR test. However, they will still be in the running for the crown. Contestants from 98 countries are participating in the Miss World contest this year, including Jadija Omar, Somalia's first hijabi candidate. Representatives from Iraq, Tunisia, and Turkey are also in the race. The finals for the global beauty contest are to be held today, Thursday, December 16, at the Colosia de Puerto Rico, where reigning Miss World Tonya Ann Singh from Jamaica is scheduled to crown her successor. 
The annual competition, which is hosting the 70th event this year, was canceled in 2020, owing to the coronavirus pandemic, making Singh the longest reigning Miss World in history. Sinkitz and Nevis Observer reports that the government of St. Lucia has announced that Carnival 2022 will be hosted, but only vaccinated revelers will be allowed to attend. Dubbed the Vax Mass Carnival 2022 in St. Lucia is based on approval from the Ministry of Health, according to existing protocols, said the government in a press release. The aim for the Vax Mass is to create a bubble to ensure the safety of everyone involved, the general public and carnival patrons alike. Everyone participating, revelers, patrons, support staff, and service providers must be fully vaccinated. Dr. Ernest Hilaire, Minister of Tourism Investment Creative Industries, Culture and Information for St. Lucia says that as a carnival enthusiast himself, it is important to build on the hard work and dedication that started by the people who brought carnival to where it is now. We have to ensure that we preserve the health of St. Lucia while creating an economic activity for our people to benefit from, Dr. Hilaire said. Strict protocols and guidelines will be implemented and further Further plans will be announced at a later date to ensure the safety of everyone for Carnival 2022. Carnival in St. Lucia is usually held in the month of July in the capital city of Castries. No other Caracom Island has officially announced plans for their annual Carnival celebrations as yet. And finally, Jamaica Information Service reports that Jamaican Prime Minister, the Most Honorable Andrew Holness, says entertainment remains an important value-added product which should be utilized more strategically within the tourism industry to enhance the sector's growing fortunes. Mr. Holness, who was speaking at the recent official opening of the 444-suite all-inclusive Ocean Eden Bay Resort in Falmont, Trelawney, said entertainment and culture are low-hanging fruits on which we need to spend more time to integrate in tourism in far more strategic ways. He maintained that every effort should be made to capitalize on the industry's benefits, noting to do otherwise would result in golden opportunities that are missed. The Prime Minister said tourism interests should look to strengthen linkages between the sector and other state entities, pointing out that this would generate significant economic benefits. He suggested that tourism can take the lead in terms of harnessing the immense talents available across the entertainment industry, adding that Jamaica already has a competitive edge with its rich musical history and culture. We need to see an institute that is going to train persons in entertainment and culture so that the offerings are not just unidimensional, but local persons who are naturally talented and gifted can be exposed to a wide variety of other forms and areas of entertainment that they can become professionals in, he stated. Sound engineer and 30-year entertainment industry veteran, Baltimore Martin welcomed the Prime Minister's sentiments, describing them as music to my ears. We in the entertainment industry have long felt 
that we weren't being taken seriously enough and that we could do much more to strengthen tourism. But to hear Prime Minister say it in his own words was truly beautiful and inspiring, Martin said. This has been your Pulse of the Caribbean, Caribbean News Roundup for Thursday, December 16th. I'm Keisha Wallace. For more Caribbean news stories and information, be sure to visit us online at pulseofthecaribbean.com and also like and follow us on Facebook, now Meta.